0: Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for joining us for the final session of Sanctuary 2, the second instalment of the 2020 Guernsey Funds Forum. We hope you've been able to tune into all the sessions so far this week, but if you've missed anything, it's all available on demand. We've had two fascinating discussions so far on financing a sustainable future, hearing from those uh, looking at how a turbulent 2020 will affect the investment funds world, and from those who have used Guernsey services to launch their funds. Moving on to today, and I'm sure many of you were following its progress long into the night, but the rest of you will have woken up to the news that there is no conclusive conclusive result thus far in the US presidential election. This is despite President Trump announcing a victory at 7.30 this morning at a press conference in the White House at which he stated, a great fraud has been committed on the American people which our keynote speaker found truly dumbfounding when the president was well short of his target so we're still unsure as to the implications for global politics but also for Guernsey which has seen rapid growth in recent years in terms of fund uh, in terms of funds business conducted with US managers and investors anyway we're in for a treat as our keynote speaker has been up all night covering the election so we're absolutely delighted to secure journalist and broadcaster Andrew Neil Fresh, if I'm allowed to say that, Andrew, from his last reporting slot with the BBC to discuss the results. Andrew's moving on from the BBC to launch a new television news channel, GB News, uh, um, early next year. Before his time in television, he held senior roles at The Economist and was editor of The Sunday Times. He leaves a legacy of hard-hitting politics shows, major political events, and tough questions. In March 2015, The Times said, the ultimate test for assessing whether a party leader was fit to be Prime Minister is to put them in front of Andrew Neil for 40 minutes, the most forensic interviewer in broadcasting. So I'm pleased and let's be honest, somewhat relieved that in fact, I'll be the one asking the questions today with Andrew answering them. You can get involved too. Please submit your questions for Andrew using the widget on the screen and we'll get through as many as possible as we conclude the session with a live Q&A today. Some of our industry literature and our sponsors' resources are available to download from the widgets on the screen, which are being highlighted now. And if you want to react to us on social media, we'll be at WeAreGuernsey with the event hashtag GYFF20. I'll be back a little later to take part in the live Q&A, but I'm sure you're now all keen to hear from Andrew. So without further ado, I'm pleased to hand over to him now. So Andrew, welcome to the 2020 Guernsey Funds Forum, and what a night it's been. As Donald Trump said at the beginning of his tenure, I wasn't sent to Washington to play nice. So what are your thoughts thus far on this most confusing of US elections? Ah, lots of thoughts, Rupert. Thank you very much. Thank you for that introduction. Hello, everybody.
1: We decided that I would speak on the American election rather than do a more general speech on. COVID trends and business and British politics or global politics because of the enormity of the US election and talk about some of, analyze it, then look at some of the global implications and some of the UK implications. And I guess I would just say to you, welcome to the undecided uh, states of America. Uh, The past 24 hours have really been the perfect storm the united states uh, and not in a good way and at 7 21 london time this morning uh, when the president made his uh, statement america entered a pretty dark tunnel and we don't know when it will emerge or how it will emerge or what will be the end of that tunnel uh, when it does it was almost everybody's worst nightmare it was a very close election, still unresolved as we speak now. It may not be resolved uh, for several days yet, if that. It is a contested result. That was what the President wanted to make clear uh, at 7.21 this morning. There are delays in the counting. Six Democrat-run states simply decided to... St- Sorry, eight Democrat-run states simply decided to stop the counting uh, in the middle of the night and in places like georgia north carolina uh, pennsylvania and so that's going to take some time to do it we have a candidate uh in the shape of president trump who claims to have won even though all the votes haven't been counted And all of this is taking place at a time when there is a febrile atmosphere in the United States. The country is more divided than it's been at any time since Vietnam in the 1960s and early 70s, and there's one of my colleagues who's out there said there's a tinderbox here and it wouldn't take much to set it all in on fire gun sales are at record levels there were some minor skirmishes in washington dc last night though nothing uh too bad uh but it is a dangerous mood in america and over the days ahead it could be even more dangerous it has to be the makings of a constitutional crisis unless it can be resolved relatively uh, quickly. There have been close elections before in the United States, but they've always been resolved because they've been against a backdrop that wasn't like today's, but also because there was a kind of goodwill on both sides and the country wasn't as divided. That's not true now. So in 1960, uh, John F. Kennedy won the popular vote by 0.16%. I mean it was a slither of a vote and Richard Nixon and the Republicans had very good grounds for challenging the result there had been a lot of dodgy stuff happening at Cook County in Chicago uh, and in West Virginia where JFK's father basically bought the mine workers out and along the southern uh, borders of Texas uh, LBJ ran that and he was a, a JFK's running mate but Richard Nixon even richard nixon said let's not push it for the good of the country let us just agree that mr kennedy will be the new president of the united states and then in 2000 when there was another close election indeed the democrats won a majority of the popular vote and you had all that argument over the hanging chads uh we seemed to go on forever Uh, al gore in the end despite under a lot of pressure from the democratic establishment again like richard nixon said let's just leave it let mr bush be the next president of the united states that is not going to happen now that is the both sides are now ready for endless legal fights as they litigate these results the whole purpose of the president's intervention was basically to say look all the results that have come out now i look like winning but all these results that are going to come later are somehow fake or fraudulent and they shouldn't be counted and this is just going to be a dripping roast uh, for lawyers now i suspect that the president although he did much better uh, than most people thought Uh, much better than the american media thought i suspect that he saw in the northern rust belt states which gave him the white house in 2016 that as all the votes were counted although he was ahead and has been ahead in these states i'm speaking of wisconsin michigan pennsylvania that as the mail-in votes were counted and the in-person early votes were counted which we tended to be democrat there would be what's been called a blue mist would come over the country and suddenly joe biden's share of the vote would rise and he could well take these states and that is what's actually happening at the moment uh, five or six hours ago mr trump looked in a powerful position in these rust belt states but as they've counted more and more votes his there's more narrow and more narrow so mr biden is now ahead in wisconsin by a sliver uh he's pressing in michigan and he's also coming up in pennsylvania too so the president's strategy is to try and concentrate the election on those who voted on the day because those who voted on the day were overwhelmingly republican and voted for mr trump and you can see just the difficulties this is going to bring in a highly litigious country there are 11 weeks between election day and the inauguration on january the 20th and it has to be resolved by then because january the 20th as inauguration day is written into the constitution so there has to be a new president appointed by then and i think is going to be very difficult and the more difficult it is the more people will feel cheated and the more they feel cheated the more there is likely to be unrest uh, on this the, the streets and in uh previous very close elections The argument was basically about one, at most, two states. I mean, in Florida in 2000, it was all about the hanging chads in Florida. That was the contested state. This time, there will be contested elections in probably up to half a dozen states, maybe more. Even before Election Day, there were 44 lawsuits that had been taken by Republicans and uh, Democrats. And and the Republicans are going to try and argue that votes that came later are more subtle. Subject, to be not correct, that they need to be looked at much more carefully. Do they comply with the mail in laws? When did they arrive? What was the postmark? How long can you continue to count them? North Carolina, for example, has said that they'll take any uh, mail in ballot up to November the 12th. Uh, Pennsylvania has said they'll take them up to three days after yesterday, November the 3rd. So there is plenty plenty of things to argue and all the time the result will be uncertain the markets will be uncertain people will not quite know the future of america now as things stand at the moment and it's 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 dangerous to judge but in my judgment joe biden looks as if he will slip across the 270 electoral college votes that he needs and that he will have won the election we don't know for sure because we're in uncharted territory and we don't really know how these mail-in votes that are only now being counted are going to uh, be distributed but at the moment it looks like most of them are going mr biden's way and it looks like he will have won but mr trump will not accept that and he will argue that he won on the day true this is entirely another matter and he will contest these votes that have given mr biden victory and even if joe biden wins in the end it's a pretty pyrrhic victory Uh, he's not going to win the electoral college by a huge amount he's just going to get dragged over the line he'll be a lame duck president pretty much from the start it looks pretty clear that the democrats have not won the senate uh, and that will crib and confine a biden administration's ability uh, to do things everybody's operating on the assumption that he's a one-term president he will be the oldest uh, uh, man ever to enter the white house as president older than ronald reagan when ronald reagan stood down as president he'll be 82 by the time of the next election in 2024 and the democrats don't really expect him to run that has implications that his power almost begins to wane uh, from the start And particularly if his result, his victory, was not that convincing, that makes him, to my mind, even more of a lame duck president. So I think it's going to be difficult uh, for him. And the result is all the more remarkable because for a number of years now, the demographics of America have been going the, demo, the Democrats' way. I mean, under Mr. Trump, the Republican Party has become uh, an overwhelmingly, uh, a party with an overwhelming white core, a male white core non-college educated, uh, increasingly rural and small town. Uh, the Republicans have basically been banished from most of the major cities in the country. Even a Republican state like Texas, the Republican. Republicans no longer uh, have uh, much of a presence in cities like Dallas or Houston. Um, and everywhere you uh, look, even in Arizona in this election, they lost uh, uh, Maripoca County, uh, which is Greater Phoenix. Uh, the, Mr. Trump won that in 2016. Uh, they lost Arizona, this time to the Democrats. So the, the Republicans have been in retreat to this core uh, for quite a number of years now and the democrats always think this will be the case for their big breakthrough but they seem always to be the bridesmaid and never the bride there are huge demographic changes going on in America. There are huge changes that benefit the Democrats rather than the Republicans. It's the reason why Virginia, uh, traditionally a southern state, is now solidly in the Democrat camp. It's the reason why Georgia's going that way, and we don't yet know how Georgia has gone in this election. It's the reason why even Texas has now seen its Republican majority in in, uh, Democrat, in presidential elections Get smaller and smaller and smaller now mr trump held at texas but with less than he did uh, last time and yet despite being on the wrong end of democracy uh, of a, d- a-, a demography there seems to be an endurance to the gop brand the grand old party brand they still manage to cling on in t- at times when you think it's over for them and although the long-term trends are against them they were not against them enough for Mr Biden to win convincingly in this election. This election was a watershed in, in uh, many ways for the United States, the first election in which the combination of the Millennials and Generation Z uh, were a bigger cohort than the baby boomers that have dominated American politics uh, for the past 30 or 40 years. So the electorate is getting younger. In a state like Georgia, for example, uh, 50% of the electorate there is under the age of 40. In a state like Texas, 50% of the electorate under 40 are people of color. So there are huge changes uh, taking place in the United States that will rewrite the electoral map uh, of the country but in terms of the result it wasn't a watershed if mr biden has won he has just scraped across the line if donald trump has won it's an incredible blow uh, for the democrat party and there will be a lot of uh, bloodletting uh, to try and, and resolve what's going to happen now because we don't know what's going to who, who is actually going to be in the white house uh, it's quite hard to know what the policies uh, we can look forward to or not look forward to. But in many ways, there is something quite similar about Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden and their economic and financial policies. Both of them believe in managed, not free trade. Uh, And although a Biden administration would not carry on the trade wars with China, it's such a ferocity, uh, there would be tariffs against china and the biden administration being tough with china is now the new consensus in washington you know even though mr biden has always been a lot more friendly to china than donald trump has been the congressional democrat party on capitol hill is now even more anti-china than uh, the trump administration itself so you wouldn't really see a huge change there both would increase america's national debt and both would run much bigger deficits even though america's already running a deficit of about six percent of gdp both believe in big fiscal stimulus uh mr trump would do it with more tax cuts mr biden would do it with uh more infrastructure spending and his so-called green new deal both would be huge fiscal stimulus to the american economy which is why despite the current political upheaval in america and the uncertainty it has brought uh it is possible if America can overcome that, the growth would return at quite a high degree next year, regardless of who was in the White House. Both are content to see the Federal Reserve continue uh, to pump out lots of quantitative easing, uh, the electronic printing of money, and both are determined that the Fed should keep interest rates low, if not quite Negative. It was interesting that Wall Street was not that worried about Biden presidency. Indeed, uh, Mr. Biden raised three hundred and sixty-five million dollars in August alone from Wall Street, versus two hundred and ten million from Trump. And throughout the election campaign and the run-up to team biden reassured wall street look we don't mean you any harm there will be some tax rises for those on very high salaries and some tax rises on business but there'll be nothing too dramatic and don't worry they said privately elizabeth warren will not be the treasury secretary elizabeth warren being one of the left-wing uh uh, democrats who tried to uh, win her party's nomination Taxes would go up in a Biden presidency. Corporation tax would rise from 21 to 28%. The top individual rate of federal tax would go up from currently cut by Donald Trump to 37%. It would go back up to just under 40%. And capital gains tax would probably align with income tax. The taxes on the top 1% of income earners would probably go up by about 13 to 18%. It would raise about $2.7 trillion over 10 years. But then Mr. Biden would spend all of that and more on his infrastructure plans. That amount of tax rise is quite high by historic standards. But it's not sort of out the ballpark his spending plans are huge uh and so the stimulus would be huge too too. there would be an expansion of government and a more progressive taxation system but again not too out of the ordinary i mean the top rate of tax would go back to what it was under mr obama the corporation tax would actually be midway between what it's been under donald trump but it was Obama, in other words, not back to where it was under Mr. Obama. And federal revenues would rise from 17.8% of GDP to 18.9% of GDP, which is where they were under Bill Clinton, who wasn't exactly a hardline socialist uh, president when it came to the public uh, finances there would also be some attempts to limit tax advantages to hedge funds and property developers and so on so it's basically in the mainstream of the party of fdr what joe biden is producing now he's under pressure from his left to do a lot more than that but if the democrats haven't taken the senate there isn't much the left can do and privately joe biden might be quite happy that they haven't taken the senate because that will allow him to remain a centrist joe to say i'd like to do this but we'll never get it through the senate which is still controlled by the republicans the radical hope was that the democrats wouldn't just take the white house they would take the senate they already have the house of representatives and if they had taken a majority in the senate we don't know for sure that they haven't but at the moment it doesn't look like uh, that they have uh they would have been able then to abolish the filibuster rule in the senate which says you need 60 percent of the votes to get some major things through they'd have brought that down to 50 plus one which would have allowed more left-wing stuff to get through. They would almost certainly have moved to give Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. statehood, which would have resulted in another four Democrat senators going into the Senate, which would have made it more difficult for the Republicans to get it back. And it would have meant Mr. Biden would have been under pressure from the left of his party to stack the Supreme Court to get rid of what is now a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court, and he would have been under pressure to add probably another six to the nine Supreme Court justices uh, to to produce a liberal majority. You can do that because the number of justices is not mentioned in the constitution the congress can change the number of supreme court justices fdr at one stage thought of doing it when the supreme court was uh, getting in the way of his no deal his new deal plans so without control of the senate none of that can happen and it also means that every major figure that uh joe biden nominates for senior positions Uh, whether it's the head of the fbi the cia various cabinet members and so on he will have to to put senate friendly people in front for confirmation and that will also uh, produce a, a more centrist approach to things so if that's the case i think it takes away some of the fear that people might have had of a biden administration if it's mr trump as I say, there'll be another big uh, fiscal stimulus, as there will be under Mr. Biden. I have no idea uh, what other policies he will have because they didn't even fight this election on a platform. There was no Republican platform, I guess, just more unpredictable of the same. For Britain, the implications of a trump presidency getting a second term would be that we would continue to have a pro-brexit president in the white house which i assume would still please mr johnson whether we would get a free trade bill however is still moot there would be a lot of resistance even in a congress with a big republican presence to some of the things we would be asking for if it's a biden presidency it will be more difficult to begin with. Joe Biden was against Brexit. The Democrat Party is against Brexit. There is still a big Irish-American contingent in the Democrat Party, including Joe Biden himself, who has Irish ancestry. They would be very reluctant to give the free trade or to negotiate one with Britain if there was any doubt about the border and about the Good Friday Agreement and the peace agreement in Northern Ireland. So I think that would be more difficult but i don't think i don't think there would be a a, a long-term problem for britain because joe biden administration would want to reinvigorate the atlantic alliance which donald trump has rather let wither and been rather rude about it in, in in a number of occasions you cannot reinvigorate the atlantic alliance without britain Britain is the second most important member of the Atlantic Alliance after America, with the only other uh, country in the alliance with real global military uh, power. So you need Britain to do, to do that. If you want to return America to more of a free trade stance or so still being somewhat protectionist, you need Britain as an ally there if you want to go back and try and put together the iran nuclear deal which mr trump has broken you need britain we are part uh, of that deal and if you want america's allies to join it in the pacific ocean to counter the rise of china which of course is the single biggest geopolitical problem that america faces in the 21st century the only european power that could have any logistical capability and ability to project power in the pacific would be the united kingdom so we would have a number of cards to play we would need to overcome the strong impression in team biden and Mr. Biden himself that Boris Johnson is a bit of a Trumpian character and therefore they should keep an arm's length. But if we overcame that, then I think uh, relations between uh, the British government and a Biden administration would be fine. Not great. Joe Biden would want to give more emphasis to the European Union, but I don't think we'd be on the wrong end of a Biden administration. However there would be a problem i think for the united states in the context of the global economy whoever uh, takes over in the white house is going to be in a post-covid world it will come to an end at some stage probably later rather than sooner next year with the american economy still struggling to recover whereas the chinese economy is already covering, so a number of estimates from the OECD the World Bank uh, and so on suggest that maybe by the middle of next year or maybe by the end of next year the American economy will be back to its size uh, pre-COVID at the end of 2019 which actually is not a bad result the problem is that uh, the Chinese economy will by the end of next year be 10 percent bigger than it was so that inexorable growth of china towards becoming the largest economy in the world would speed up in the 2020s as the america recovered from COVID. and i think for america's position in the world maybe a trump administration wouldn't care so much but a biden administration would the idea that a totalitarian power was the biggest economy in the world by the end of this decade. i think it would have a huge symbolic uh significance for the united states as the world leader after all from the middle of the 19th century through the whole 20th century almost up to where we are now economic success uh being the most successful economies was equated with the growth of democracy as britain became a world industrial leader we became more democratic as america took over that position it became the greatest democracy of the 20th century if as we move into the twentieth through the 21st century economic prowess is going to authoritarian or totalitarian regimes that's a problem for democracy in general and for the united states in particular and it's not clear that anybody knows what to do uh, about that it will undermine america's position i think in the eyes of the world it will frighten its allies in the pacific whose biggest fear at the moment is the rise of china and who are good allies of the united states and unlike america's european allies are prepared to spend a lot on defense whether that's thailand or taiwan or japan or so on so i think that is a major problem for a new american administration and the rise of authoritarianism i think is the story of the 21st century so far and what is happening in america at the moment is encouraging that rise just look at the two things that have happened COVID. the east has handled it much better than the western democracies and authoritarian countries like china are already saying hey we resolve this we're almost back to normal now. Look at what a mess Europe and the United States are making of that. And then secondly, they they will be saying now from the Kremlin to Beijing to Erdogan in Turkey or or the Crown Prince in Saudi Arabia, the Americans can't even run a proper election. Look at the mess they're in. What's so great about all this Democracy. And I fear what is happening in America at the moment is sending out signals which are helping to undermine the democratic case and making it more difficult for the democracies and for the United States. We thought the 21st century would be the triumph of democracy. It may still be further down the road. But so far, the story of the first two decades of the 21st century have been the rise of authoritarianism. And that is a problem and a phenomenon and a trend which is not helped by what is currently happening in the united states so whoever is in the white house is uh, by this messy transition period and we don't know how it will end let me just finish by by saying this that the american constitution does not guarantee a peaceful transition of power. A peaceful transition of power is the hallmark of democracy. It is what marks democracies out from any other form of government. Power moves from one group of people to another with no violence or bloodshed or people being tortured or put in jail. The American constitution does not guarantee that. It merely presupposes that. And if you have an uncertain election, with the result being contested, with lawyers litigating every uh, mail-in ballot, and there are endless opportunities to litigate the mail-in ballots now, then you will undermine the democratic process and cast doubt on how this transition of power will now take place. Now, America's a great democracy, and I expect it will get over it. But it is probably the most serious uh, transition of power in America since 1876, which was in the post-Civil War era. And in 1876, there were four states... That were challenged on the result. The Democrats won a majority of the vote, uh, but they couldn't agree what the majority would be in the Electoral College. And in the end, a terrible deal was done called the Compromise of 1877 to give the White House to the Republicans. And in return, basically, segregation and discrimination and Jim Crow laws were allowed to return to the South even though even though slavery had been abolished. It took three months to resolve. It involved four southern states, and the consequence of ensuring that peaceful transition of power in the end, and at one stage it, looked, it wasn't going to be. Ulysses Grant was the outgoing president, uh, and he at one stage mobilized the military because he feared militia attacks on Washington. The price was that if you were black and lived in the South, you had been freed you were no longer a slave but you were still definitely a second-class citizen and you didn't really get to participate in a free election until 1968 1876 to uh, 1968 so i'm not saying anything like that is going to happen again but i think this is a dangerous and uncharted time for america if it can get through the prize is great um you know, we look on the 2020s at the moment as being potentially a bit of a middle uh, The economies hadn't really recovered around the world from the great crash by that much and then they were hit by COVID and it looks like we would stagger through the 2020s. Joe Biden campaigned on a return to normality after the frenetic uh, Trump administration, as you've seen. It hasn't exactly powered him into the White House with a landslide. We don't even know if he's going to be there. But Mr. Harding, who was the presidential candidate in 2020, he also campaigned in return to normality. And he won. He won by a landslide. And this followed the First World War and the Spanish flu, which killed millions of people, race riots in America, unrest on the streets huge rows about immigration but actually there wasn't a return to normality there were the roaring 20s there were fastest period of growth now that ended in tears in 29 but the 20s were a booming time in the united states and it spilled over into the rest of the world and the reason i mention that is that if we can get over this political difficulty because what is holding america back at the moment is not its economy it's bounced back rather well uh unlike europe which hasn't bounced back very well if america can overcome its political problems and difficulties that animal spirits of the american economies could be unleashed post-covid and actually we could be into another roaring 20s again and i think to improve our morale to give us more confidence in our institutions to make us believe and understand that authoritarianism will not be the future in the 21st century another roaring 20s this time the 2020s rather than the 1920s would be no bad thing but it can only start and happen in the united states Uh, and it can't happen or start in the united states unless america overcomes it's highly uh, divisive and dysfunctional political system that we are seeing panning out in front of our very eyes today. So, Rupert, why don't I stop there and uh, then take, happy to take any questions on all of this or anything else that people might want to ask.
0: That is fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew. Um, I think nobody could have actually summarised that better. Um, and I think a, a return to the roaring 20s would be what we all need right now, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Um, we've, as expected, had a large number of questions through, so uh, I'm going to wade through as many as I can. Um, first one for you, Andrew. How significant do you think um, the early voting um, had, a, had on the outcome of the election? Um, do you think that it also contributed to the higher than expected turnout? uh, that that has been forecasted? Yes, the vote undoubtedly contributed to a higher
1: turnout. Uh, There was massive male voting. By the time Election Day came yesterday, 100 million Americans had voted. Now, 137 million voted in 2016. So clearly, I've not yet seen the final figures, but clearly a lot more than 137 million Americans uh, voted in the election of 2020. And I think it was the ability to do mail-in because of COVID. And it was also the ability to vote in person, because you could also vote in person early as well. That all contributed to the higher turnout. I think it will be one of the highest turnouts in modern times. The the highest in modern times was uh, Eisenhower against Adelaide Stevenson in 1952. It was about 64%. I think it could well be higher than that but it had a political consequence that we're now seeing and that is it was the democrats who tended to vote early and the republicans who tended to vote on the day and this is where mr trump has seen his uh, opportunity because if you vote on the day because most americans vote by machine the count is almost immediate and you get to see the result on the day whereas there are very complicated rules about counting mail-in ballots uh, and about early in person indeed in pennsylvania one of the swing states you were not allowed to start counting them until the polls closed in pennsylvania last night so there's a a clear distinction between who voted on the day largely republican those who voted uh, early more likely to be Democrat and that is part of the contested election now which is going to cause America so many
0: problems. Mm. Looking Another question, um, one of Donald Trump's big selling points four years ago, that um, he said he would wind back regulation in all areas uh, including in the financial services area. Um, do you feel that he did that um, and, and obviously depending on the result, do you think that will either be reversed or accelerated? yes I do think he did that it was one of the untold stories
1: there was quite substantial deregulation in America uh, particularly in the energy sector uh, but also in financial services perhaps not as much I mean the Dodds Act wasn't completely reversed by any means and some of the financial institutions may have wanted more but he did deregulate he was a natural deregulator it's free to do as well It doesn't cost you anything he could do it by executive order but that also means it can be easily restored again by executive order. And I think if Mr. Biden is the next president, he would come under pressure to restore some of the regulations that uh, Donald Trump abolished by executive order. He wouldn't even necessarily, in a number of these regulations, need to go through congress to do it so yes there was deregulation uh but no that doesn't mean it's gone forever if mr biden succumbs to some pressure to do so don't forget a lot of the regulations that were abandoned or abolished were those that were put in in the Obama Biden years. And Mr. Biden will be surrounded by a kind of uh, tribute act of old Obama administration people. His administration will be full of people who are in the Obama administration. So there is a risk of more financial regulation
0: if there is a Biden administration. Okay, thank you. Um, I've got a question here from Peter Webber. Do you think Prime Minister Johnson is now worried about his failure to invest into building a Biden relationship? Um, And do you think that being the case, it will remain a special relationship?
1: I think Mr. Johnson is worried about relations with the Biden administration. For reasons I've given, I don't think it needs to be a long-term worry. I think British Prime Ministers do make a mistake of getting too close to American presidents when they know, like themselves, American presidents are here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was lucky. She had a wonderful relationship with Ronald Reagan, but their, their time and power, coincided over eight years. Mr. Reagan was gone by 1988. Mrs. Thatcher was gone by 1990. The major uh, administrator, John Major's government, got itself into a terrible mess by being too close to George Bush I and uh, took a long while to build up decent relations with Bill Clinton. Indeed, Mr. Clinton, for a long while, was closer to Tony Blair in opposition. Than he was to john major as prime minister i think there's also a, a danger that the biden mr biden himself and team biden see boris johnson as a bit of a trumpian figure and that makes them suspicious too. But you know, realpolitik matters in the end. The British Foreign Office and our embassy in London will be working to try and overcome some of these perceptions the Biden administration would have uh, of Mr. Johnson. And for the reasons I gave in my talk, that what a Biden administration, if there is one, we still don't know, but if there is one, what it would want to do it would actually find Britain to be a major ally in most of the things it wants to do, including on climate change as well. So I think of the Johnson administration, and I was speaking to Dominic Rabb this morning, the foreign secretary, they're already beginning to build into the team Biden to restore relations, point out that in a number of areas from Iran to climate change to free trade, the British government actually has nothing in common with Donald Trump the trump administration so uh i wouldn't say that all was lost by
0: any means if there is some clever diplomacy on britain's part i'm obviously very very glad to hear that um interesting question this one because obviously it revolves around the the um, demographics um of the voters um in the case of a trump defeat what does the future of the republican party look like uh obviously uh you know when you're looking at that changing demographics Right. Well,
1: I'll tell you, you know, the best thing where I can sum that up in one sentence is that five million white people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 are now dead. <laughs> That's the demographics of the Republican Party. It's old, it's white, uh, it's rural, uh, and small town. America is, and it's non-college educated. America, uh, by the way, Another sentence that sums it up is that 5 million uh, whites, non-college educated, dead, simply through old age, 11 million minorities and whites who are college educated, 11 million more today than there were in 2016, and they don't vote Republican. So, there's a major problem for the Republican Party. The, the Republican Party, its core is old, white, increasingly male, rural, small town, non college educated. America is increasingly college educated, lives in urban and suburban areas, increasingly uh, diverse. Uh, 50% of Generation Z uh, are people of color. That's tomorrow's demographic. Uh, and live, as I say, in cities and suburban areas, the exact opposite of the Republican Party. So, and this is why a number of states that in modern times have been solidly in the Republican camp uh, have been going bit by bit towards the democrats now some of them have not gone yet but the republican majority has come down and down and as i I think i mentioned it started in virginia which was a southern state is a southern state but was a very southern state And northern virginia basically became one enormous suburb of washington dc became hugely Urbanised, You see it as you drive out to Dallas Airport from Washington, D.C., the south of the state still, southern down by the Shenandoah Valley and so on. But it's almost a northern state at its northern tip. That same process is happening in North Carolina, which has been in contention in this election. We don't yet know if the democrats have won it my guess is that they haven't quite done it but again building around towns like charlotte and raleigh two big university towns they are increasingly democrat centers georgia's the same it doesn't get more southern than georgia well it does mississippi's more southern but by and large other than that it doesn't get more southern it was the very uh, epitome of the antebellum south well it isn't so much now why because the growth of atlanta and the huge suburbs around atlanta account for almost 50 percent of the population georgia's now the second fastest growing state in the union after florida full of young people who have come in young people who are not inclined to vote republican and it's even happening in texas it's even happening in that republican redoubt of texas with the growth of urbanization five six of the 25 biggest cities in america are now in texas dallas and houston are the fourth and fifth biggest cities in america and the republicans are losing them. So, in some ways, urbanization and suburbanization, and the exurbs, the the places outside the suburbs that Americans talk about, they're a big problem for the Republican Party. But let me just finish this because it's very important. There was something remarkable happened though in yesterday's election, and that is that the Republicans increased their share of the Hispanic vote. They held on to Florida because of the Hispanic vote. And they actually increased their share of the black male vote as well. So and, and I think a lot of Hispanic families are quite conservative. You know, They have come in to America the proper way, they're on the low wage side, they're working hard. They're probably the ones most frightened of a huge influx of illegal immigrants than anybody else. And so, all is not lost for the Republicans on this, but they need to get leaders, first of all, who are more diverse in their appearance for a a start, and secondly, who realize they have to build up uh, their roots in these communities, otherwise, bit by bit, the Democrats just take over. You know, Ronald Reagan once said to me, uh, most Hispanics are Republican, Andrew, they just don't know it yet. Well, not enough of them still know it yet
0: uh, for the Republican Party to be sure of a future. Excellent. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Another interesting question. Um, Looking to Florida, um, it's obviously been quite a big deal um, how COVID has been handled and especially, um, you know, there's been big criticism of the Trump regime. Um, And the polls looked into this and basically said, well, that's going to be a big swing in Florida, but, but not so um florida stayed loyal to trump so why, why yeah. have the polls got this wrong and the answer to that is related to what I, we were just
1: talking about in the previous question before i get let me just it is clear to me now and it's kind of a remarkable thing to say that if covid had never happened there is no question in my mind donald trump would have been reelected for a second term you know even with covid and his handling of covid he may well be returned for a second term and if he isn't uh he'll be replaced by someone who hasn't won by a landslide or even by a very convincing majority so it's quite uh, remarkable the impact that covid had uh the economy remained the number one issue and if it was the number one issue for you you tended to vote republican even with uh, uh covid now the reason for Florida, plays to the the serendipity, unpredictability of this election. We now know that Donald Trump did disproportionately badly among the over sixty fives, the group most vulnerable to COVID, because of his rather cavalier handling handling of COVID, uh, and the fact that he got it himself and managed to turn the west wing into an epicenter of the epidemic quite a remarkable thing and over 65s and florida is a huge retiree state all along that tampa i4 corridor uh between tampa and orlando uh, and and in various uh counties on that panhandle coast uh they did not vote for mr trump in the same numbers that he did in 2016. yet he increased his majority why because hispanics voted disproportionately for him uh and the hispanic community is why i think as journalists or as commentators uh politicians we have to be very careful talking about ethnic groups as if they were homogenous you know we talk about the hispanic or the latino vote in america as if they it was all kind of one group if you are mexican hispanic if you're an american a mexican american you're likely to be democrat that's why arizona texas are going more democrat not in cuba cubans hispanic uh, popular florida's hispanic population is made up of cubans nicaraguans venezuelans and colombians all of whom have lived under some kind of socialism and many of whom left their countries because of it they are much more receptive to a republican message than american mexicans indeed i spoke to the mayor of uh, miami who's a republican and a hispanic and he was explaining this to me it's a different kind of hispanic so although donald trump lost the over 65 no he didn't lose them but he didn't get as many and he was at risk of losing the state was more than compensated for
0: by a, a, an increased share of florida's hispanic vote good thank you andrew um, i've got a question from peter fairbrush who's the new chief minister of guernsey um assuming mr biden becomes the next us president what opportunities or otherwise um does that all go for the smaller finance centers like guernsey do you think
1: ah well i mean he's asking me a question that he should know the answer to rather than He's <laughs> the expert on, on financial uh, centres. I mean, I think that if there was a, I mean, I think if there's a second Trump term, then not much will change at all from the status quo. I think if it's a if it's a Biden administration, I think the Senate then becomes crucial. I think if the Senate Uh, is also Democrat and by a reasonable working majority, then the Biden administration would be much more likely to want to toughen up OECD rules uh, and financial disclosure and all the sort of stuff that's been brought in over the past 10 years about the automatic exchange of information and so on, of which America, of course, ironically, is not yet a part. But I think you would see a much more... Uh, that that, that America would join with the European Union for a new set of global financial rules. But they could only do that if they control the Senate. And Mm -hmm. if if the Senate's still in Republican hands, then I would be surprised if the Biden administration would waste its time going down that road, because it probably wouldn't get a lot of that through um, the, the Senate. And I guess also, you do have to wonder what is Mr. Biden's appetite for this? After all, he was for many, many years the senator for Delaware and uh, still lives in Delaware. And if you want to know about financial centers and uh, uh, companies that are located there rather than in New York State, I mean, he knows all about
0: that. And uh, I'm not sure that's an area he really wants to go to. No, absolutely. Um, I've got two quick questions for you, Andrew, because I'm, I'm seeing we're, we're kind of burning through time at the moment. Um, firstly, on climate, the Paris Agreement, etc. Um, do you think there would be any effect by having a Biden presidency for the climate change agenda? Trump's obviously set his own stall out. Do you think Biden's got a different take on that? Oh, completely i mean
1: uh, like chalk and cheese uh, i mean if uh if mr biden's the next president uh he will attempt to take america back into the the paris agreement uh and he will work with the european union and others uh the, he, he would try to restore a global consensus on this that was pretty much broken by mr trump taking america out of uh, that that agreement of course that would be a british opportunity too because we're very much part of that process and although you know how much joe biden really cares about this i'm not really that sure but he'll do it for two reasons and he'll be quite zealous i think for two reasons one he'll use greenery to promote his infrastructure spending plan, which is called the Green New Deal, after FDR's New Deal, but with green in front of it. And by being seen to be enthusiastic about green matters and climate change and so on, that will be the red meat he throws to the, the younger left of his party. Which is very militant when it comes to climate change and what needs to be done. So, yes, I think a Biden administration would go down that road. Whether they could get any big new treaty through a Republican Senate, if the Republicans still control that, is another matter. After all, the Clinton administration uh, signed up to Kyoto, but Mr. Clinton couldn't get it through the Senate because it wasn't controlled
0: by the Democrats. Mm. I, just a very quick and final question then. Um, Biden's looking to run for one term, so in 2024, um, do you see a, a a Democratic candidate coming to the surface for that?
1: <laughs> we don't even know who the next Democratic president is going to be. Very so true, true. Very true. true. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. But actually, I think there is a change, and there's a change in, in American politics, which will, I think, determine who the candidate might be. now mr biden's running mate kamala harris is from california woman of color uh, mixed race uh, former attorney general in california many people think she is the automatic successor to mr biden i'm not so sure uh and i think this will have an influence on the republicans too because if you look at the electoral map of america now the west coast is pretty solid democrat fact not pretty it's very solid it's a sea of blue from the canadian border to the mexican uh, border and now includes uh not just new mexico but arizona probably nevada as well you look at the east coast until you get to the south that is all blue as well new New york state all of new england uh, as well uh not a single new england state the republicans took so why would you pick a californian to be your candidate the crucible of american presidential politics where american politics are now decided where the battlefield states are and they are battlefield states today whose results we still don't know are Mm -hmm. in the upper midwest they're in the old Rust Belt. They're in the Ohio's, the Wisconsin's, the Pennsylvania's, uh, the uh, Michigan's, the Illinois. That's where the American politics is determined. So I think both parties its kind of called lunch pail uh, politics. I think both parties are going to have to think about picking candidates that can appeal to that uh, demographic, because they now determine the elections. And that demographic is not taken by the old country club Republicans, and it isn't really taken uh, by an identity politics Californian either. So both parties will have to look very hard at the kind of candidate in 2024 who would actually appeal to the states that
0: determine the election result. No, Absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much. Um, I think you can see America is is a deeply divided country at the moment and it's most fragmented since 1876. Um, We're now expecting a protracted legal battle I guess for the leader of the so-called free world, with ramifications on every level both within the US and globally very difficult to predict. So uh, we're very much hoping to get back to the Roaring Twenties again. So with so many changes politically around the world, it makes us all the more grateful that Guernsey is such a stable and secure jurisdiction, especially when it comes to financial services. Guernsey has been providing specialist solutions to sophisticated clients for more than 50 years. Uh, 800 years of independence has led to political and economic stability and a breadth and depth of financial center s- expertise. Guernsey's national private placement regime has proven faster and a smarter route to the EU uh, and the UK for funds, ensuring the continuing certainty and security of market access after Brexit. And in these challenging times across the globe, it's that certainty that we need. Many thanks again to Andrew for his keynote address today. Uh, I've got a few more words before we conclude. Thanks to all our speakers across the week uh, for some very thought-provoking discussions, um, and also to the team at Guernsey Finance for making this event as good it has been. Thanks to our headline sponsors again, Kerry Olsen and to Osia and all our supporter sponsors who you can see on the screen and our media partners, BVCA and Funds Europe. And finally, thanks to all of you for joining us today. Today's keynote speech and indeed both other sessions from the week will be available shortly on demand so please feel free to share those links if you do know anybody who will be interested by what we've discussed. Uh, Please also do complete our survey as your feedback is very important when we're planning future events. Uh, Looking out uh, for our next funds-related event, that will be on the 23rd of November. Uh, The webinar is uh, called Distributing Private Funds. So please visit our events page on weareguernsey.com to learn more and to register. Um, So we are slightly late, but I think that has been a fantastic overview from Andrew. Um, Thank you again. Um, Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you can join us again soon and have a great rest of the week. Thank you.